everything else is powered by ink and abstracta. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Thank you for tuning in to the Everything Else podcast. We are excited and a little bit nervous because this is what take 170. <laughs> <laughs> we had a couple of technical issues and so we are recording for the second time after having recorded. So also a little frustrated. Yeah. What do you think? But also grateful that we have a second chance uh, and hopefully our sound is better this time. Good. All right. So how are you guys feeling on the other side? Happy, tired, relaxed, pissed off? All right, take a few seconds to check in on yourselves and see what's going on inside you today. Ready? Good, because this episode is the one about emotional literacy. Ooh. All right, so, so I didn't say hello anyway. <laughs> Hi, Vera. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, you, you know, every time we do an episode on something, something happens related to that. So today, all of our frustrations and our fears are mixed up in this emotional literacy. We're going to see how, <laughs> how it turns out. So emotional literacy, you said, right? Yes, what emotional, is that? Emotional intelligence, we've heard a lot about. And today we're focusing on this close relative, uh, maybe a cousin, emotional literacy. Yes. This episode, we'll be discussing what emotional literacy is, how to get more literate, and why it's relevant to talk about this. Of course, we'll give you some hacks on how to embrace the complexity of emotions to connect with yourselves and others. All right. So let's briefly go over what emotional intelligence is first. All right. Can you help me out? Yes. Last episode, we talked about purpose and the traction it has gained, right? So something similar happened 25 years ago with emotional intelligence. Daniel Goleman's book was a bestseller and it was everywhere, right? Yeah, everyone was talking about it. And in education, Howard Gardner had also implemented this view in the 80s to challenge how we saw in, or thought about intelligent people, right? So it put the topic on the table and it made many people change how they viewed themselves and others. So instead of taking intelligent people as the ones who had good grades, the ones who were good at math or language, and therefore the ones with high IQ scores. Exactly. So intelligence became this more varied field Mm -hmm. where we were recognized as for our other strengths. Like, this was a paradigm shift, right? Yeah. And, you know, that means that some people take this today as obvious, totally integrated to their life views, and others are still getting there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When people say, oh, he's brilliant. What does that really mean, right? Yes. So these paradigms, like you said, they still coexist. And the thing is that the relevance, though, of interpersonal and intrapersonal intelligence has been thoroughly studied and discussed, right? There's no question about it. Yes, and very roughly speaking to you guys, but we could say that these two intelligences that Mer was just mentioning, interpersonal and intrapersonal intelligence in Gardner's words, is what makes out Goldman, what Goldman defines as emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. But we said that we were going to talk about emotional literacy. So what is that? So that is a term that was coined by Claude Steiner and used extensively since the end of 90s. It refers to the ability to recognize and understand your own emotions, how they play out in you, and then being able to read emotions in others and figure out how they are feeling to empathize with them. Mm -hmm. So to quote Steiner, to be emotionally literate is to be able to handle emotions in a way that improves your personal power. I, I like that 
and improves the quality of life for you and most importantly, the quality of life of the people around you. So in other words, if you understand your emotions, their varying degrees of intensity and where they are rooted, you'll be able to manage them because you understand them. Piece of cake or what? <laughs> That's done. Finished. Episode's over. <laughs> Just do it, right? So the difference between emotional intelligence, this term that we have heard so many times before, is basically that understanding the understanding that emotional intelligence refers to the innate dynamics, Good. right? This innate. person, this personality dynamic, like you are intelligent or not. And the term emotional literacy places the emphasis on a skill set, on strategies that we can have to understand emotions and that this can be trained and improved. Good. And that's why we like this term so much, because it means that we can learn. You can still do it. Yes. <laughs> and that is literacy. Like we learn to read and write and how learning that opens so many doors to us. And like with literacy, if you can do this in more than one language, it gets to open more doors for you even. And like a language, it is a process. I want to take a second here. It's a process and it might take time. Or it will take time. It will take time, <laughs> exactly. It's a question of starting, right? Yes. Reading emotions, our personal emotions and other people's emotions is a basic tool. And I say basic, again, because human brains are wired for this, not because it's not easy. Not because it's easy, of course. So think about this. The human brain is the only living organ that reflects about itself. Human brain? <laughs> but we don't only reflect on us, right? We also do this about others because we have always been trying to figure out what's going on. Why do people do this? Why do these things happen, right? So many areas of knowledge are revolving around this. Yeah. And we'll keep trying to figure out because some things are difficult to understand. <laughs> And although this view has changed throughout history, it's now believed that we can learn to regulate and co-regulate our emotions. Right? Co-regulate? So co-regulate means that we regulate them with the help of others. Ah, that's interesting. It's been that term's been thrown around a lot lately. So dealing with them in a healthier way, right? Even if we suck right now at deciphering our emotions and how they affect others and vice versa, right? We can learn. We like can learn. Said. Sure thing we can learn. Recognizing emotional literacy then as a core skill allows us to believe that we can understand more, heal and change. And the implications of that are pretty monumental, aren't they? Yeah. Humongous. So, a lot of talk about emotions, right? So, what are emotions anyway? <laughs> what is that? So Wikipedia... <laughs> <laughs> that was an easy one. Wikipedia defines emotions as biologically based psychological states brought on by neurophysiological changes. Neurophysiological changes. So that was really that. easy. That, that was really clear. Thank you. Biologically based okay. psychological states okay. that are brought on by neurophysiological changes. All right biologically based psychological states. All right, Yuval Harari, in a definition that absolutely blew my mind and changed my perception, said that our emotions are algorithms. What? <laughs> you are out of this world and you have this ability to summarize ideas that like yeah. nobody else. Now, in a comprehensive definition, I think we should consider how emotions are 
basic reactions of the brain, right? Okay. And that's why he says algorithms, because these are basic, these are wired in our most primitive parts of our brain. Mm -hmm. And that from What's the... What's it called? The amygdala. The amygdala. And that from the very beginning of our lives, if not before, we start giving meaning to them. So that's where the cultural part becomes, right? So we go through this culture in the broadest sense of the world, right? We interpret everything from our worldviews that we build on with our lives. Now, through these lenses that we see the world, and as we mentioned in previous episodes, those lenses are influenced by the time we live in, the culture we live in, the language that we have, experiences that we have, life story, etc. All these are relevant in people, like the relevant people in our lives. Everything leaves a mark. Hmm. But... They're still involuntary biological processes. Yeah, you know what I felt? What? Like you were saying, yeah, yada, yada, yada. yada but yada. these are biological yada. processes. <laughs> Because it changed my perception of it, right? When I mean, it's something that is involuntary and biological, and we give meaning to it, but it's still something that we cannot control in the sense that it's going to come up anyway. Exactly. But it's an and. Hmm. That's the key word here. It's biological and This other thing. But as but as Mara says, the fact that it's biological, it's that we can't help it. Yeah. Right? Feelings are feelings. This is a phrase that we're going to repeat a lot because of this precisely thing, precise thing that we were mentioning of how these are biological processes. Now, we need to acknowledge them, respect them, and not judge them so hard. Mm -hmm. Right? Freud, with his theories, made it very clear more than 100 years ago that We are not complete rational beings, but emotional beings. So that feelings are part of our lives, whether we like them or not. And it's better yeah, it's if part, we accept it's part it. Of life. It's shit we have to deal with. No yeah. matter who you are, very where technical. you are. Very shit we have to deal with. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> it's one of the most human things that, that we can talk about, right? Whether we like them or not. Now, sometimes we get a little hooked on negative emotions. And, and I get the feeling that sometimes the negative emotions are expected to be suppressed in our culture, don't you think? Totally. Dr. Susan David, she talks about toxic positivity, like a thing of our time, right? All this talk, you know, about managing our emotions has led people to feel even shame of their feelings. Yeah. And feelings, again, are feelings. Feelings are feelings. So by acknowledging them, I mean, accepting that we all have different emotions and by saying positive or negative, we are implying that some are desirable and some others are not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we all have positive and negative emotions. All of us, positive and negative. And emotions, you know, are our thermometer. Like last, last episode, we were talking about this. There's a huge range of emotions and then each emotion has different levels of intensity. It's not the same, for example, to be angry than being furious, mm. to be happy or being elated, apprehensive or terrified, yeah. in pain or in agony. Or yeah, I, we've spoken about this before, how language shapes how we see the world. And it seems like a good place to start, don't you think? Thinking about how we talk about our emotions, the words that we use. Oh, the words. Language matters. <laughs> so another, I think I'm going to get various t-shirts. Feelings are feelings. Language matters. Language matters. <laughs> words matters. Like, they make a difference. How Choosing the closest words to express how I feel... It's at the heart of building the bridge to connect to others. Yeah, and in this journey inward, this is a good place to start. 
find the language to say what you mean. Marshall Rosenberg, a man who I have become a huge fan of, a clinical psychologist just like you, he is the founder of the Center of Nonviolent Communication. He encourages people to study lists of emotions so that they can learn to identify how they're feeling, exactly how they're feeling. Right? I'm or as gonna, close as possible. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to leave a link uh, to an inventory of feelings in the blog, precisely from the center of NVC, so that you guys can check it out. Now, I know, I, I, I'm a little rational, but this is too much even for me, right? That studying a list of emotions seems a little bit rigid, but it's the beginning of literacy, finding words to talk about how I'm feeling. It's like the building blocks yes. to have this conversation, yes. right? I remember having many of these conversations in class, teaching English as a foreign language, actually. Mm. We dedicate a lot of time to differentiate one word to another, defining them, or even trying to translate them to our own language. Yeah, sometimes it's not even possible. Yeah, because sometimes you mean different things with the same word. Mm. Each person has like a different image of yeah. what that means. And that is one of the many benefits, for example, of learning a foreign language. You reflect on the words you use. Yeah. Still, like Gardner says, the level of focus of the, on the nuances of language is more developed in some people than for others, right? Yeah, there's always going to be that person who says, who cares? I was just angry and that's enough, right? <laughs> I don't need any more. Yeah, we all know somebody saying that. <laughs> and, and maybe at that point it was us. But yeah. knowing more than one language is very enriching for literacy and for emotional literacy even. Yeah, it's like we have more tools, more worldviews to br build those bridges we were talking about to express what's going on and to connect with others. Yes, we, we have, I, I always quote this very clear example of the word in Portuguese, saudade. Saudade. Oh, you gotta love that word. The depth of what it means to someone who uses it is not translated by using an equivalent in other language, like yeah. words like feeling um, nostalgia no, missing. or missing. Yeah. They don't fully grasp what is described as saudade. It's those words that are saudade. difficult to translate even. I get the feeling when you speak Portuguese, you always have to move a little bit. Yeah. Sound like saudade. All right, it's so, romantic. <laughs> this, in, in this place is where all the challenges of communication and interculturalism come into play, right? Because they become really important to bear in mind. Yeah, and we discussed this at length, as you can imagine, in episodes three and four of mm -hmm. our first season. You so you can out. go back there, yes, to find more <laughs> insights and hacks on how to work on those core skills. So, emotional literacy is our ability to read and express emotions in ourselves and in others. Let's talk a little bit more about why we should learn more words to talk about them. All right, so we were circling that idea, but let's just say that by talking about our feelings, by putting them into words, the closest words, we give room to them. We acknowledge that they are there that they are part of our psychological reality instead of suppressing them. Mm. Because suppressing emotions is like sweeping under the rug, you know? <laughs> They're going to come out eventually, right? Even if you try to deny them, it's going to be channeled either internally or externally. But talking about the emotions is not the same as solving them or trying to fix them. Yeah, not necessarily, at least not directly. And I can't highlight this enough. When people tell you how they are feeling, Many times you can't do much about it. And that's okay. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to go into, it's going to be fine. 
No, <laughs> you don't have to go solving the other person their problems. Mm. You don't always need to do something about it. Good. Sometimes it's just feeling and having someone else navigate through that with you. Mm. It's very important. And let's clarify that this is for everyone, right? We're not just... I know... <laughs> I, I don't even know how to go, go about this without bringing out the, the red flag of patriarchy. But it's had a terrible effect on men and emotions, don't you think? And yes. despite being the core of we are as humans, a lot of times emotions are sort of referred to as girly, right? Boys didn't talk about emotions. And I dare say that even today... Boys don't cry, you know? Yeah, boys don't cry. Don't even it's, feel yeah, it's still ingrained in our brains. And I, yeah, even today, we're taken aback by seeing Suarez bawling his eyes out after a match, right? How, how many videos did you see of, of that, right? How many or, reflections about it. Yes. Or Obama breaking down in his speech about gun control. Men expressing and talking about affection. It's a, it's a rare sight. Now, it's not something that most men allow themselves to do, and it is core to our well-being. And guys, you know, if nothing else convinces you, in 1921... And being articulate about them, sexier still. <laughs> so maybe I just, uh, I, I would just like to say here, let's How recap. How sexy it is. Not. No. <laughs> let's recap. So literacy, in a very basic and literal definition, is the ability to read and write. Right? And this is strongly intertwined with language, obviously. My kids have some books that talk about yellow is joy, blue is sadness, right? There's a song about putting all your emotions in little jars, in jars. and, you know, putting them in the right order. Yeah, it's kind songs, of like books, Inside everything. Out. Yeah, 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 everything. But it's kind of like Inside Out, really, in, in the sense, right? At the end of the day, I feel after all of this investigating, I took a couple of courses, you know, it, it, you know it's, it's pretty much Inside Out. It yeah. boils down to that, doesn't it? It boils down to that, but then, especially for young kids, works because, like in the firm and the film Inside Out, as we grow up, these basic emotions are there. Now, as we grow up, as I was saying, these basic emotions become tangled. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't watched Inside Out, go ahead and watch it. <laughs> Now, ambivalence makes an appearance. Yeah, when you're older, right? Yes, happy, it's mixed with sadness, angry, scared. And there's more than one at the same time. And our vocabulary, therefore, needs to expand. Yeah. So, yeah, and these are not in jars, so <laughs> the jar thing. But finding words to describe them is just one step of this because this is very dynamic, right? These words are not meant to be labels. This is something that I, I, I think are really is, is really important. So I'm going to quote again our friend, Dr. Susan David. Hi, Susan. <laughs> If you're listening to us, we really admire your work. She mentions this, she coins this word of this term of emotional, lit, uh, sorry, emotional agility. Emotional agility. There's another buzzword, agility. Agility, exactly. And taking that buzzword to emotional states, mm. she puts the emphasis on the importance of embracing these variations and not judging them so harshly. Trying to understand, but not self-imposing what you think you should be feeling. <sighs> 
are always circling around the same issues.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we're so stupid, though, aren't we? <laughs> we said no judging. <laughs> It's so difficult not to judge because it seems like it's something that's so easy to do, and yet it's so difficult. Yeah, we get angry at ourselves we, for not being、exactly. able to do. Exactly. All right. So th- there's the judging again, right? In what you said and what I said, the labels and expectations that we put on ourselves and on others. I, I remember once.、Um, You pointed out to me in a moment where I was, I must admit, heavily judging, and you said in Spanish, "No somos, estamos." It's untranslatable, right? Like saudade, untranslatable. Like, like saudade, it's untranslatable. It's something like it's not that we are; it's that we are being at that moment, right? And that stuck on me. The concept of of flowing, of not categorizing, it's really hard. Like we said, right? Our brains are obsessed with categorizing and labeling. You know, he's aggressive, she's violent, so and so is nurturing, so and so is positive, and it's hard to escape. And I think that there's a certain inclination towards there. There has to be a certain inclination towards some types of emotions. Or are we not getting into that? <laughs> Some people need more of this degree of certainty.、Yeah. They feel more comfortable where everything falls into a category.、Mm-hmm. It makes them. It makes things easier to understand. Yeah. And we, in a way, we all kind of feel comfortable when that happens. Yeah. Now, as we always point out, we are in a, amidst a paradigm shift towards complexity and learning to surf through uncertainty, and that is one of the skills we need for our future as well. So. I know it's muddier. It's more difficult to sort things out, but come on, let's do it. <laughs> These are core skills. You know, people talk about empathy, resilience, vulnerability as very easy things to do, and they all rely on recognizing, understanding, and dealing with our emotions in a healthy way. And that means that not being okay is okay, <laughs> because it's okay not to be okay. Okay. I want to go back because you mentioned something about these skills being the skills of the future, right? Empathy, resilience, vulnerability, and we've heard this in many talks.、Uh, Yuval Harari, another guy, <laughs> Yuval.、Uh, we, we're going to talk about you a lot today, also.、Um, but they're talking about how these skills are because we're in a context of complete change, constant change, in a much quicker pace than we're used to, right? Yes. Uh, being able to have these skills and this emotional literacy is going to pave the way for resilience, in a sense. And resilience is the skill that everyone is saying that, that we have to have, no matter what you do.、Mm-hmm. It's the only thing. Getting back again. Getting back up. And you mentioned vulnerability, and I think that this is this is an, another point. Like a lot of people are talking about vulnerability, but the, the difference between being strong. And being vulnerable, exactly,、right? because staying always strong is rigid. Yes, and something that is rigid, it brings us to the point of breaking. And resilience and vulnerability, they they rely on accepting our fragility, and that is not weak. Yeah, like the bamboo metaphor in Mulan. Yes, <laughs> you have to bend so much because of the wind, but not not breaking. And、right? moving, as you say.、That. Yes, I can see she's dancing. She's doing the bamboo dance.、Um, I've heard of people referring to feelings as clouds in this thing that you were talking about because they they dissipate and or sometimes us- they get on you, right? Like the black cloud, <laughs> and they follow you around. <laughs> well. 
but you have to try. You can dissipate them, right? Yes. And many of us spend a lot of energy trying to push feelings out in in that sense, right? Not paying to、uh, attention to them if they are uncomfortable. But when we see feelings for what they are. Energy just passing through waves of sensations that are not permanent. It takes a lot of pressure off it. I did a, a meditation once that I I always try and remember when I'm feeling like intense feelings that they asked you to think about the the feeling that you had right and and try and like visualize it registering it right and and they they asked you like what's the texture of it、mm-hmm. no what's the color and so like in your brain you and and the more you focus on trying to describe it. The more it dissipates, like clouds, like it starts to disappear because it's like you said, you acknowledge it, and then you put words into it, and you, you, with that process, the energy、mm. starts lowering, the intensity of it starts lowering. Yeah, that's why speaking therapy happens, and that is why also why agility is such a good word.、Mm-hmm. It's accepting that we are, we were not there before. And they will not be there forever. Yeah. Just like like clouds, even if they are dark clouds. Yeah, it's gonna at a rain. Point, it's going to rain. There's gonna be a storm or a tornado. Yes. <laughs> and I'm not saying it's pretty to go through that,、yeah. but then they will dissipate. Yeah. So let's recap. When we take feelings as a chance to understand, to identify them, to figure out how we are interpreting them, what story to think about the story we're telling ourselves about them,、mm. right? It's a great opportunity to actually come out more resilient of things, of situations. Like, okay, so this is what I'm feeling. Okay, what am I feeling? Ah,、oh, anxiety. All right. Hello. 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 So we meet again. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's do this. <laughs> But it's not a duel. <laughs> That's not the right tone. No. <laughs> so it's not. It's like, oh hi, hi. <laughs> it's you again. I missed you. <laughs> <laughs> Or not so much. But it's recognizing what it is and why you're feeling it, and trying to not say it's fine. I'm fine. Or I don't mind. I don't mind. No, I do mind. Yeah, I do mind. Fuck it, I'm pissed off. I'm nervous. I'm disappointed, and that's fine. I don't want to fail,、yeah. and it's not gonna last forever. I'm afraid.、Yeah? Yes, I'm afraid. Yes, I'm afraid. It's not that bad. <laughs> I really care about this. Yeah, there is like this feeling that you have to try to not care about things in order to let go. Yeah, not be hurt, maybe. Hmm.、Mm. All right. Okay. Go on. <laughs> I really think that we need to be very explicit about these things, so that we acknowledge all together that feelings are ambivalent and that is understandable, right? No, that this makes sense, and th- and that we all feel them, and and that it's okay, and that, that we don't have to push them out, like you said.、Um, in a lot of 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 meditations and mindfulness courses, when you do when you talk about emotions, they talk about. Being well, okay, not judging and being kind, but also finding dignity in your emotions. And at the beginning, I was really surprised at the word dignity. Like, why? It's related to what you said before about shame, right?、Mm-hmm. Like, why would I have to find dignity in emotion? Because we are bombarded with this toxic positivity、mm. that Susan talks about,、mm. all this talk about happiness with this tone of entitlement, you know,、mm. as something you deserve. 
that you came to experience. And you know, life is tough sometimes. Life is complex.、Mm. I feel we circled around the, this conversation a lot in our special episodes, especially the one about parenting. Yes, the、right? idealization of things, yes, right? Yeah. Now that is the beauty of how these topics also are discussed, also、mm. in all our common episodes. But anyway, this is good news because if we deal with this better as adults, we will make things easier for future generations, and that is why also they are intertwined, right?、Mm. More mature. Yeah. Now you said. Feeling something doesn't necessarily mean that that you have to act on it, or、okay. at least I, I interpret it. So this, right, let's get back to that then. No, it doesn't mean that you have to act on them. Feeling is not the same as doing. All right,、so、another T-shirt for you. <laughs> this is、um, all right. This is like a central part to this regulation part that we were talking about. I want to talk a little bit more about that space between. The stimulus and the action, right? As your friend Viktor Frankl says, I'm guessing this space is important to stop being reactive,、uh, which in essence is a way of regulating my emotions, right? Yep. Identifying feelings is necessary to consciously choose what to do with them, because we can choose. We can always choose. I get goosebumps <laughs> with that. And remember, you. Don't go dismissing Viktor Frankl as naive. He's, He's a, a concentration camp survivor. survivor. <laughs> <laughs> He says that it is that space that protects us from our more self-destructive emotions. This We- space between what I feel and, and what, what I, I do. do. Exactly. And this is what is at stake when people just react, right? They are. Not choosing consciously what to do with these feelings they are feeling, you take actions, and that can be even definite actions for momentary situations, because emotions are momentary. It seems very basic, but it, it, it's very profound, right? You're taking actions that can be definite for momentary situations or momentary feelings, right?、Mm-hmm. When you're doing this, okay, so. When talking about managing emotions, I think we also have to admit that there are varying degrees of intensity, and this might be where the difficulty of finding that space between、uh, the stimulus and and the action might be. Right?、Um, this not only depends on the situation, but also on the purpose, on the person. What triggers different states of arousal in your body it varies from person to person, from their context,、uh, their history of trauma, or, totally, or not. Totally,、right? that's the intensity. It's like the volume, you know. Some volumes are very hard to deal with. I was interested in a neuroscience term, the window of tolerance, a term that was developed by Dan Siegel. And you can visually imagine this window as a band. Above it is hyper arousal, and below it is hypo arousal. Now, when a person is within their window of tolerance, and this is different in every person, they can effectively process these stimuli. You can think rationally and make decisions calmly without feeling overwhelmed. Feeling. It's not that you're not feeling emotions, right? You're feeling a range of emotions, but you don't feel overwhelmed. And when you're outside of this window, above or below, 
this band that we're referring to, you can't process stimuli effectively. The thing is that everyone, as we said, has different windows. So some are more narrow or wide. And if your window is narrower, you might feel that your emotions are a little more intense and difficult to manage. And that's the word, right? Manageable. Mm -hmm. Or too much. It's not like here, it's not like less is more. No, no. We're talking about manageable fluctuations. Sometimes the peaks or the peaks or the lows are too much. Mm. And then we need help. We need help from others who can make it more bearable, you know? And this is when therapy or even meds come in as great help. Yeah, so that you don't feel like crushed under it, right? To take the weight off a little bit. So I know I don't need to be promoting therapy here anymore, but I can't stress enough how great it is to have a space where you can revisit the story we are telling ourselves about ourselves, where we feel really safe and not judged. And the other person has tools to reframe those stories that are doing more harm than good. If you don't doubt that story at a point, if you don't doubt that inner voice, there is no way of shutting it down. Doubt is actually good. Hearing yourself is key. You know that I was thinking about that film, Luca? Yeah, I haven't watched it yet. (laughs) The guy has a voice that speaks to him in his head that tells him that he's afraid, right? Mm -hmm. And he's like, Callate, Bruno! (laughs) And he he calls it like a a specific name. I I remember in A Beautiful Mind, right? It's a more extreme case, but in A Beautiful Mind, it's It's not realistically depicted, but it's beautifully depicted, right? Mm. Like, okay, you're there. Mm. Okay, but I'm moving on anyways. Yeah. Now, you mentioned something that I think is key also. uh, The story we're telling ourselves, you said. Yuval Harari has talked extensively about our storytelling capacities as humans, right? And our story-believing capacities. I feel people don't focus on that, and (laughs) it's pretty amazing. This is where, he makes a great point about yes, this. Yes. Now, we are really fucking good at making up stories and believing them. Throughout our existence as human beings, we've made up the wildest stories. We have built movements around them because the stories are good. And we are inclined, we are wired, like you said, to believe these stories. It's part of what makes us uh, human, right? So... We understand that when we're talking about, you know, religions and movements, but sometimes I think we underestimate the power of the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves and about others that we end up believing, right? Yeah, Brené Brown also talks about this. These are very elaborate stories that we make up, right? This is unconsciously. Uh, We end up believing sometimes things that end up becoming truths to us. And that in itself, as you were saying, is a very powerful statement. We should always check in with ourselves the story we are telling about a situation, Mm. about another person, about ourselves. And because we are talking about literacy and how we can change these things, we can reframe those stories, take perspective. Mm -hmm. You never know who can reframe it for you, though. Mm. Therapy, for sure, but sometimes it's someone you don't even know. I'm going to... Um, illustrate this with a story. My husband and I spent many years trying to get pregnant and it was a hard process and it definitely had different moments. But I was once in a dark place, you know, like self-beating, grief, mellowing in it. Mm. And 
I just couldn't get out so easily out of it. So I took a trip with a friend to change air and I was telling this story to someone, some random person I didn't know much in a hostel. And I was telling this story. And you know, when you talk and you tell a story, you always tell it in a way that's very similar to the way you're telling it to yourself. Yeah, yeah. So I was telling this like, you know, in this very mellowy tone, like self-peating. And the other person goes, oh, really? You're starting a family? That is so beautiful. <laughs> that was it. What? <laughs> Were you not even listening to what I was saying? And that was mirroring to me what mm. I was not seeing. Mm. You know, the other person, the, other yeah, the yeah. perspective this person was taking moved me directly from where I was standing. And then we moved on to another topic. But for me, that was huge. Yeah. So thank you. If you're listening, <laughs> thank you. An anonymous random person who didn't understand what I was saying. <laughs> and that's exactly the thing. He did not understand exactly what I was saying, but he showed me a different perspective, right? Yeah. So instead of focusing on what was not happening, this person helped me see what I was not focusing on. Mm -hmm. right? Change of focus. That is a very good way of, to illustrate that. Hmm. And you know, that magic is like a superpower. Yeah. We can all be heroes. We can all change lives. We can all help each other. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Reframing is also important because it reminds us of the different views, this otherness, right? The fact that our reality is nothing but the story that we tell ourselves. And everyone tells themselves a different story. It's like we're all in a parallel movie or in parallel movies or hallucinations or something that sometimes touch and feature other people. It's like you do a cameo. I do a cameo in your life, but really, yeah. Each yeah. of us see things from our own perspective and our own psychological reality. But, but the issue that I find here is that because we're so good at believing them, that we think that that is the reality. My reality is what is. Right? Exactly. I was thinking as you were telling your story that it's not only the story but the intention behind it, right? Like you said, that, that tone. And that inevitably brings me to the conversation of not only what we tell ourselves but how we talk to ourselves. How do you talk to yourself? What do you call yourself? What tone do you use? Would you use that tone with other people? Would you tolerate if other people used that tongue with you? <laughs> you know, this is a huge issue, like self-talk. Hmm. Being aware of this is a game changer. Hmm. Like, look at Simone Bales in the Olympic Games. We all see this amazing athlete and she hears demons in her head. Hmm. She says that at least. And I think it's very brave of her of saying it. Anorexic hmm. people, they see somebody disgustingly fat and we see skin and bones depression, they see somebody not worthy of being loved, and they are so convinced of that, like we were talking before, mm. that they eventually end up pushing others to try to convince them to. Hmm. You know, when, when talking about PTSD, we tend to think of huge trauma, oh, like a lot of times... What is PTSD? Post-traumatic stress disorder, Yes, right? Um, and we, we tend to think of huge trauma, like people with, with, with um, more difficulties in these Tragedies. areas, right? And many people respond to trauma with that pity look, right? Tilting your head to the side, like, oh, oh. I'm so sorry, right? <laughs> but we all go through our own battles and it's not always about what happened, but how we experience it. 
uh, we could even say that we come into a trauma-filled world, right, with a history of unresolved collective trauma. But it's the the deal is, it's not exactly what happened, but how you live it, right? The story you, that you tell yourself about it. Yeah, you know, the more I hear people's life stories, the more I connect to feelings of admiration mm. and compassion. Yeah, both of them. Yeah. And, and a lot of times we don't know where these feelings are rooted. We don't know what the baggage the other person is carrying, right? We never, ever know. Well, but if we listen, ah, well. we can know a little bit more. <laughs> For listening, we need to give the other person time, space to do so, you know? Time and space, but also not judging because um, when you listen to the other person's story, it might not seem, if you just listen to the story with your own uh, view and judging, it might not seem like it's a big deal. You need to stop your own inside voice, right? Yes, yes, yes. And for not judging, something that it's very important to connect is the feeling of compassion. Compassion. Because we are doing the best we can with what we've got. And only you know what that is. That seems key here, because sometimes we want we, we want people to move or to do something and, and sometimes they don't, they, they can't. Yeah. The idea that everyone, every single person is doing the best they can is revolutionary for me. I, I didn't believe it before. It took me some time to understand it when some, the first time I heard the concept, I was like, fuck no. <laughs> there are some people who are not doing the best they can, right? Um, but yeah, it took me a while to understand. In nonviolent communication, I've done a couple of courses and I found it to be really life-changing, as I mentioned before. So I'm going to be bringing it up a couple of times. Marshall Rosenberg divides emotions into two categories, right? Feelings when your needs are satisfied and feelings when your needs are not satisfied, right? Not positive or negative, but all right. The underlying understanding here is that there is a basic human need that is universal, right? Some basic human needs that are universal to all humans across cultures. Um, Needs like connection, physical well-being, honesty, play, peace, autonomy, meaning, right? Like every single human in every single country has these needs. And when these needs Uh, are met, they trigger emotions. So in essence, all of our emotions have a met or unmet need behind uh, behind them. So in observing ourselves deeply in this inward looking we're talking about, we can try to identify the needs that we have, right? What's behind it, This what, what is rooted. Meet the need, as Rosenberg says. Yeah, I, I, you know, I find this very humanizing because we can all relate to these needs. Could, we, could you repeat them, please? There's a lot, but I mentioned play, uh, honesty, autonomy, meaning, peace, connection, connection. Yeah, connection is another one. So we can have conflicts surrounding the strategies that we can use to meet these needs. Mm. Well, we all have the same needs and finding out them, finding out about them, what the driver of an emotion is, the reason of my why my algorithm was triggered <laughs> in the words of Yuval Noah Harari. Yes, this uh, this even understanding why my need is not met. This can help me understand and come to terms with the emotion a little more. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's the same with the emotions you mentioned before. I don't have to solve them. I can have a need and it cannot be met, but understanding it provide already yeah. paving the way, right? Like you said, providing some dignity, mm. having compassion about it, giving it time mm. for it to process yeah, yeah, yeah. that 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 you're 
feeling, right? But not feeling pity. Not pity. That's exactly it. In self-compassion, we look to ourselves, but we don't judge ourselves. Yeah. Well, it starts there, right? Self-compassion: how you're talking to yourself, what you're saying about yourself.、Mm. Because we are with others, right? So improving our relationships with ourselves inevitably results in better relationship with others.、Mm. So we can all be agents of change if you think of it like that. Yeah, that's beautiful. So to recap, to improve this relationship with myself, awareness of my own emotions, the reasons behind them, and self-compassion, it seems from this that empathy and compassion for others won't happen. Until we can give it to ourselves first, exactly. <laughs> And then interpersonal part has a lot to do with understanding, reading what is going on in others.、Mm. You know, sensing the tone. Yes, that is fundamental for empathy. But even more essential is not judging, not just seeing the other, but not judging them.、Mm. You know, sometimes it feels like it's as simple as let it be. Let it be.、Mm. But it's not so simple, right? <laughs> So, for leading, empathetic listening and empathic leadership is not mushy, soft, or less. It's core. We need it to connect with others, to build bridges, to lessen the loneliness, and this has again to do with sometimes proposing a different way, a smile, a gesture, so the other person feels safe. You know, we can establish. Intimacy, even in large groups, like a wink at a student, a comment so the other person feels seen, even if he or she is feeling blue, that they feel heard, or even making it safe when you see the person how they get upset or not taking it so personal or dramatic.、Mm-hmm. Right? With Lou, <laughs> one of my colleagues and teammates at Abstracta, we have developed lots of inside jokes to mention when either one of us is not having a good day. Like through humor, humor that we both agree on, right? Yeah. Because we're not ta- we're not pulling each other's legs. It's just funny. It's, it's not funny if it's only funny to you. Exactly. So this is our third culture. We can say at the time we are going through this, and we can have a short check-in in every meeting that we get together. And with these key words, we already know where each of us is standing, right? And that is great because. Things don't build up there. We don't dedicate lots of time interpreting one another.、Mm. We minimize the noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because remember, feelings are feelings. Sometimes you need you need to let them be, not act upon them, not solve them. Just let that space between stimuli and action happen、mm. to make things clear, to see things clearer.、Mm. Take your time so that it happens. As a friend of mine used to say a lot, sleep on it. Sleep on it. Now, hearing what you say,、um, hearing you say that though, got me thinking about how reading the other person has a lot to do with face-to-face interactions of the the details, right? The tone of voice, the volume, the body language.、Um, I think it's a huge challenge for remote teams and asynchronous communication. Don't you think it's much harder to read people's emotions? Through Zoom in general, but also without the camera on, no, speaking through text messages or audio sometimes a little bit easier. But when you don't have the other person there to inter, it's not interpersonal. Yeah, but it's like with everything in communication, right? We need to both parts need to be willing to 
build the bridge. Hmm. So whether it's on Zoom or not, if the other person is not willing to build the bridge, it's much harder. So in conclusion, this is my, my conclusion, <laughs> the more I read and the more clearly I see that the pathway to rescuing our mind many times can be the body. We've talked a lot about this, right? About how it's biological, how you have to look at your cues from your body. Um, meditating, mindfulness, exercise, breathing, even vision, the way that we intentionally look at things, it seems to be th the path to rescuing, right? Yeah, I'm going to add some suggestions of my own. Like my, my combo is music, mm. dancing, and sun exposure. Mm. You know, channeling emotions, endorphins, and vitamin D. Yeah, yeah. Which is not really a vitamin, and does magic. <laughs> I loved a quote by Andrew Huberman, who puts it as, it's futile to try and rescue thinking with thinking. Ooh, can you repeat that again, please? <laughs> it's a great quote, isn't it? It's futile to try and rescue thinking with thinking, sometimes, right? Yeah, because we are, after all, body, mind, and spirit. Mm. And many times the same biological reactions that are set off in our bodies through our thoughts can be reverse engineered through the control of our body, which then controls our brain. Stop the story, feel the body, they say. Another t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've rambled on for quite a bit. Shall we go to the hacks? Yep, let's do that. Know yourself. This is still good advice after all this century. Mm -hmm. Know yourself and know your body cues, your physical cues. Mm -hmm. Register them. Yeah. Um, we, we mentioned in, in the other episode how um, some people think that algorithms know us better than we know ourselves and that's going to play out really strongly in the future. I think what we have to remember is what, what algorithms are doing and what they're going to do by measuring our, I don't know, biometrics is that they're paying attention to the cues that we're not paying attention to. It's not that they know us better, it's just that we're not paying, we're not focusing on the things that we should be focusing. So this brings us to the second point, right? Connecting to your body, as you said, finding out how emotions show up for you, right? Is it, um, d did you get goosebumps? Did your eyes swell up? Did your, did your voice sort of get cut off because you were emotional? Is your volume really high? Ah, do you feel pain in your chest, a throbbing in your legs? Like, pay attention to those things. Go to therapy, use grounding tools like meditation, mindfulness, hypnosis, yoga, EMDR even. And remember, at some point, as Huberman says, it's futile to try and rescue thinking with thinking. So take care of your biology. Sleep well, eat well, exercise. Many of the answers are there. Hack number three, let it be. Paul, are you there? Let it be. Let it be. <laughs> Say how it feels to you. Don't fix it. Be there. And if somebody opened up to you, honor the intimacy. Oh, that's important. You know, not just when they open up. Afterwards, too, follow mm. up. Mm. Reliability, you know, is very important to build trust. I like that. Number four, press pause. Before you react, check in on yourself. What are you feeling? Where does it come from? What is your need? I did a mindfulness course with RJ Sofer and he had this great tip, right? When you think of an interaction that you had that didn't go well, observe what happened and how you felt and why you think that was. And in that last question, ask yourself, 
what would I have liked to happen in this interaction, right? What would have been a positive outcome? And then ask yourself, if I had that, then what would I have? And then again, if I had that, what would I have? And then go ahead and continue asking yourself that question until you feel that you've gotten to the core of it, which Rosenberg would say is this universal human need, right? Yeah, that, that is a great exercise because making those hypothetical questions through language allows us to imagine different outcomes and try something new, hmm. like trial and error. Keep trying. Yes, yes. Number five, ask for help. If you're not feeling that you can cope with your emotions or that too many times they become unbearable, right? When the volume seems too loud, I like the metaphor that you used, ask for help. Yeah, ask for help. Psychological tools, you know, are hard to master. At first, it seems counterintuitive many mm. times. It takes active effort. You need to be brave to face these things. Sometimes mm. you just want to sweep under the rug. But then, after a while, they become part of your skill set, you know? It becomes a part of your new you. That yes. version of you that you intentionally work towards to feel freer. Mm. You know, in Jean-Paul Sartre's words, feeling free is what we do with what was done to us. Poof, I'm very light today. <laughs> I always thought Sartre was wonderful. Um, yeah, and I think it's important that, you know, small tweaks sustained in times, uh, in time are like rain, you know, that eventually erodes the rock. Uh, you, you can change small things. It doesn't have to be huge. This yeah. new you that you mentioned doesn't uh, have to be radical change. No, it's it just, won't be. It won't. For it, be, mm. for it to be authentic, it won't be. Mm. These are not, there are no easy fixes for this. This is a process. Mm -hmm. All right. That, my friends, is a wrap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so our side, Med, how are you feeling? Well, I'm not feeling frustrated anymore because I think it went well. Nothing turned off or broke. I'm feeling uh, a little ambivalent. I'm amped up, but a little bit exhausted. <laughs> this was intense, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, it was intense. What about you guys on the other side? How are you feeling right now? Take a moment to explore it and listen to yourself. Hopefully your inner voice says, I'm inspired. I'm loving the shit out of this podcast. <laughs> If that is the case, remember to share it with others. All right. Thank you so much again for honoring us with the gift of your time. We will be back in a month. And meanwhile, remember to focus on the everything else. Bye. Bye. Are you following us on social media? Join our community. This is an ongoing conversation. We are the Everything Else Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from.